in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee. It's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now, your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris. Welcome to As I See It. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris. Coming to you live from Cool Springs Eye Care in Franklin, Tennessee. I'm really pleased to have Dr. Amy Waymeyer with me again on the show today. Last week we talked about dry eyes, ocular surface disease, what causes it, the many components of the tears, the many structures of the eye, the dues report, and some basic approaches that Dr. Waymeyer uses and techniques and equipment she uses in evaluating patients with dry eyes. So, Dr. Waymeyer, Amy, thanks for joining us again. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So, our patients really enjoyed the last podcast with you, and there were discussion of these ocular surface disorders, and I wanted to start with some patient questions, if that's okay. Yes. So the first one says, uh, when I wake up in the morning, my eyes feel glued together, and sometimes I feel like there's something in them for about an hour. Is that dry eyes, and what's the cause? Wow, that is a loaded question, but one that we hear a lot. I think that when I hear that question, I think of three main things. One, I think first of what we call lag ophthalmos, is the patient sleeping with their eyes open. So I might broach them with, has anyone ever mentioned that you, they can see the white of your eyes? The other thing that I might do is use what we would call a pen light to hold it up against their eyelid to see if there's complete closure. The second thing that I might look at then is at the lid itself. Do they have something we call MGD or meibomian gland dysfunction? We discussed this in the last podcast as glands on the, the oil glands on the eyelids that might not be producing a healthy quality of, of oil. And then finally, I would look at their cornea to see if they have a rough corneal skin or what we call EBMD. And that might mean that their eyes having micro wounds or tears whenever they wake up in the morning. So a lot can happen. It could be different causes, though, correct? correct? Could If it really affects the cornea, we talked before about how many nerves there are, that could give that feeling of something in my eye. Yes. The way the corneal nerves are wired, when something affects our cornea, the front of the eye, the windshield, as you called it last time, we feel it like there's something under our upper eyelid, right? Yes, and as you had mentioned, that part of the eye heals rather quickly. So that's one of the best things about a dry eye consult is each patient is different and you're looking at their puzzle and trying to solve each piece or part. Mm-hmm. And those oil glands, we, we squeeze out as we blink. So overnight, we're really not blinking. Correct. And some of those oil glands can percolate some fluid. It kind of just builds up and yes. stays there and that gives us that gummy feeling, correct? Absolutely. And then you mentioned last time about the mucin layer, the fatty layer, if you will, And that mucin layer can, if there are irritants that get in the tears, they're not being blinked out, then that mucin layer goes to work. It kind of encapsulates those, then tries to take them away. And we wake up with eye goobers in the morning, don't we, on the inside corner? Correct. So when when you hear somebody say, I got a lot of these eye goobers in in the, I just got a lot of this stuff in there. Does that almost instantly make you go, this person has some dry eyes? Absolutely. And it thinks makes me think that one of the first treatments we want to start with is lid hygiene, something to clean off the eyelids so that we don't have that heavy load or toxic buildup. Okay. So if you got a lot of eye goobers, you or your kids, talk to Dr. Waymeyer about options to treat with some eyelid 
hygiene, if you will. Uh, you talked last time. I, I got to get into this. You said something about mites yes. on my eyelids, that that could be a main cause in rosacea or separate from rosacea. Are those are those two somewhat related or do they cause the same thing? What, what about these mites? I have things moving around on my eyelids. <laughs> so I would say that we all have little creatures that live on our bodies, organisms, bacteria, and some of us have more than others due to um, our dermatology, underlying skin conditions, etc. So the two main types of blepharitis that I think of are seborrheic blepharitis and um, edemodex-based blepharitis or ocular rosacea. And we would treat both of those by cleaning the underlying organism off from the eyelid so that the eye can produce the oil in the way that it was intended to. I remember when I was doing my residency, my partner, Dr. Heacock, uh, did his paper, his residency paper on Demodex. And at that point, boy, that was late 80s, if you will. And that's a long time ago. But I remember he took a light microscope, pulled out eyelashes and actually took pictures of these little mites. And you talk about patients being motivated to clean their eyelids <laughs> and get their dry eyes fixed when they see the I got those mites in my eyes. Holy cow. So sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? I would agree. (laughs) All right. So we answered that question about the uh, wake up in the morning, eyes feel glued together. Here's another one. All the -the over-the-counter eye drops look the same. Is there really a difference? Are they all the same? Which one is right for me? You know, the best. Mm. I would say that there's not one best for every single person. They have different viscosities, different lubrications in them. And so based on where... Wait, wait, wait a minute. There's a big word for a guy uh, from Ohio State. Viscosity. <laughs> what, yes. what do you mean by that? So some of the drops are going to be thicker and we might use okay. those at nighttime whenever we're not as concerned about the quality of vision. Um, others are going to be thinner so that if you are working on a computer, you can take a quick break, insert a few drops, and go right back to work. So that's a, that's a good point, Dr. Waymeyer, in that not all eye drops are the same over the counter. We talk about having lubricant drops or artificial tears that are okay to use without contact lenses and some of the mild ones that don't have any preservative are fine with contact lenses. But we always, as eye doctors, typically say, don't use one that takes the red out when you have dry eyes. Why is that? So with the get the red out drops, unfortunately, it creates a cycle where the more we use it, the more we need to use it because it's trying to pull the blood vessels in, shrink them up, and the muscles of the blood vessels can be affected by that in a negative way. Gotcha. So we get kind of a rebound reaction as one. And the other thing is every decongestant, which is really what those are, dries out the eyes, right? So we're, we're, we're kind of countering the real reason that we need to, to use those drops. So we have some, some much better options. So let's move on to the third question and we'll talk a little bit more, but here's, I'm going to let you handle this one. Settle the debate in my house. My wife says that the dryness that I get when I wear my contacts is because I don't eat enough fish. Is that true? And is there any relationship? Absolutely. So what we know is that when we have increased omega-3 fatty acids, that they have an anti-inflammatory property. And the omega-3 fatty acids are found in fish. Um, So when we have less inflammation in our tear film, then that helps with that osmolarity by, um, sorry, yeah, the osmolarity, yes. like we talked about before. Correct. Right? Yeah. And also, too, it adds um, more lipids to our eye, which we had talked about how the lipids are the protective layer of our tear film. So if I have dry eyes, should I be on an omega-3 supplement, given that the uh, North American diet that we have is pretty low in 
in true omega-3s and and a little higher in the other pro-inflammatory omegas? Correct. So we will recommend as part of our eyelid hygiene to um, increase the oil production of our eyes. 2,000 milligrams of omega-3s daily with the active ingredients of EPA and DHA in them. Okay. So... If I look at a, uh, we like one brand called Nordic Naturals. That's Absolutely. a good one. When everybody says, well, I'm taking omega-3s, I usually probably do just like you. And I say, that's great. There are a few things we need to know, right? Number yes. one, we need to know that you're taking enough. We need to know, so that's what you're saying is 2,000 milligrams or two grams a day Correct. is kind of a therapeutic level. Yes. Secondly, we need to make sure that you have, we turn the bottle around and we have more EPA than DHA, basically. Yes. EPA is the more effective of those. And so I like to see a three to two or a two to one ratio on yes. that. Number three, I always tell people, open it up, smell it. It shouldn't smell rancid. If it does, it's oxidized and it's yes. not going to be effective. And then four, most of the time when you have a good omega-3 you're going to have fewer of the other side effects when you have a bad omega-3 you may have these kind of fishy burps and things like yes. that that sounds gross but that's really true i mean that can it's sometimes keep people yeah it's a, a absolutely big so so those are the things we look but if i take okay i've got dry eyes today it's it's uh, the heaters are kicking on in the winter time here I'm going to take some more omega-3. Will I immediately say, oh, my eyes feel so much better? I'd love for it to be an immediate effect, but I usually tell patients, if you can give me two months, we'll know if this is working for you or not. So it's got to build up to a therapeutic level also, right? Yes. Good. And and again, some people, the recommendations I think from from what we see are a lot, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it says, hey, if you eat three good-sized helpings of fatty fish a week, salmon, mackerel i don't know what another fatty fish is sardines sardines there you go um frequently on my wife's menu uh, tonight honey we're having sardines mackerel and baked potatoes no i can't remember the last time but salmon probably more common yes. uh, so it's it's if that's the case unless you're eating an awful lot of fish you're probably not getting enough and and an omega-3 can be helpful right absolutely and I think that the studies go back and forth. I, I don't mean back and forth in that, in that they, they they confuse us, but they do. In that sometimes we can't necessarily measure by signs an improvement, but patients will have a subjective improvement. Sometimes yes. pay, we we get them to a therapeutic level, and and patients don't notice as much improvement. But it certainly is a very, uh, for the most part, safe over-the-counter, less expensive way to improve uh, the tier quality and the tier quantity, maybe, quality in particular, right? Absolutely. Okay. And then also it has some other good effects. I think if you look in the literature, omega-3s in general, unless you have a bleeding disorder, uh, and this is not a big, deep discussion of cardiovascular effects of omega-3s, but but we see mental health benefits. We see rheumatologic benefits. Uh, they're yes. a- almost a mental health, uh, I mean, almost everything that you that you can see. There's some some article in the literature that will say, oh, this was found to be beneficial. But then you also will see some article in the literature that says we found no effect, right? Absolutely. You know, we, in the most recent article that was published about that, they were comparing omega-3s to olive oil, which olive oil is also a, a plant-based version. And so I tell people olive oil is probably going to be more effective than flaxseed oil from the more recent literature. So if someone is a vegetarian or vegan, this does give them an option. Hmm. 
Interesting. So what about red krill? I hear that a lot more recently, you know, maybe from more advertisements because I, like anybody, am mm-hmm. prone to whatever I see advertised on TV, right? Absolutely. Is that beneficial? Is that any different? Do you know on the omega-3s? That one I'm not as familiar with um, as far as scientific literature mm-hmm. to say one way or the other. Yeah, and I think for you and me, we'd probably say, turn the bottle around, let me see what's in it, how much yes. are you taking, and we'd give our best judgment there. I'm not, That's how I feel. I'm not is the that nutraceutical expert, but I have some pretty good knowledge with most of the basic components. Right? Absolutely. Or more likely, I would say, we need to talk to somebody smarter. Let's go get Dr. Waymeyer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so let's go back. Thank you for answering those questions. For uh, for this gentleman asking this question, I would say, eat your wife's food. <laughs> Suck it up. It's part of keeping a long, healthy marriage. Uh, now, and omega-3s are probably good for you. As I see it, we'll be right back. If you're just joining me, I'm talking with Dr. Milik Brujic. He's an expert and graduated from the New England College of Optometry. Uh, he practices full-scope optometry with an emphasis on ocular disease management of the anterior segment, contact lenses, and glaucoma. Dr. Brujic practices in Northwest Ohio, and he and I have talked about Ohio State a little bit, but he's kind of on that borderline between Ohio State and that other state up there. He's published over 200 articles and has given over 1,000 lectures, both nationally and internationally to talk about a really exciting development in the management of what we call lid drooping or ptosis. It's a real fancy medical word that we spell P-T-O-S-I-S. And there's a new drug that came on the market last year called Upneak. Could you tell me a little bit about what Upneak is? It's a drop that the patient actually uses once a day. And what it does is it helps the lid lift. So for those people who have the quote-unquote droopy eyelid, it actually helps lift that eyelid up so that the eyelid isn't drooping anymore. You can use it on one eye or both eyes. There are some people who have, as you're well aware, um, one lid that droops. And then there are other individuals who have both eyes that almost um, lower than the ideal position would be. Sometimes people are self-cognizant of the way that they potentially look. They, they maybe feel like they have a sleepy look to themselves. And what this does is it just raises it to the level where it's ideally supposed to be. And it'll take anywhere from five to 10 minutes to really start activating that upper lid. And for individuals that are in the exam room for 10 minutes, um, they'll actually see the results that quickly after the draw is placed in the eyes. If it's even something that you think you're a candidate for, something that you're interested in, have that conversation because this is a prescription product. You do want it prescribed appropriately and you want to make sure that you know how to use it appropriately as well too. Well, thank you very much again, Dr. Mealy Brujic from Northwest Ohio for sharing your expertise on the, uh, just in eye care and on this new drop that has been introduced into our armamentarium of pharmaceuticals called Upneak. Thank you, Dr. Kegerice. And now, back to As I See It. So let's start with some of the things we talked about last time. We talked about breaking down the components into addressing the biofilm 
inflammation, mechanical blockage, and then tear quality and quantity. Let's start with the biofilm. What is that and how do you treat that? Yeah, so what I kind of think of as the biofilm is the, the waste product that builds up on the lids and lashes, um, the inflammatory properties from the Demodex or um, the seborrheic blepharitis that may be building up there. So things that are just kind of junk laying on the lids mm-hmm. that don't belong. Okay, and typically those will build up more, do you think, in women because of cosmetics and other things that they're putting in the eye or not necessarily? Not necessarily, because I think there are a lot of gentlemen out there who don't think about cleansing their eyelids. And at least if a woman's wearing makeup and removing it, then at least once a day, they're cleaning the eyelid area. So so how do you how do you help us with that? Let's say I have some biofilm buildup. What, what's the problem with that? Other than it sounds yucky to have Demodex excretement and stuff on my eyelids. I want to get yeah. that off as soon as this podcast is over. Absolutely. But, but how, how are you going to do that? Are you just going to take a toothpick and pick at it? Or, or what are you going to do? Hopefully well, not. To kind of go back to what you were saying earlier with when we talk about the dentist, there are some at-home treatments. So at home, we might floss. And at home with our eyelids, what we might do is use a surfactant cleaner or spray to break down that biofilm. But here in the office, we have a, a wonderful treatment called Blefex, which is a way of therapeutically reducing the biofilm load on the eyelid. So if I've got this greasy skid on the on the surface, you're just taking a very gentle brush with some cleaner and you're basically getting rid of the biofilm, much like I'm brushing my teeth and I floss my teeth, but I still go to the dentist every six months to every year to get yes. my teeth cleaned because I need some professional cleaning, right? Absolutely. And that's really all the Blefex is doing, correct? It's a gentle exfoliation of the lids so that we can get away that that gross buildup, as you've mentioned. Right. I, I kind of feel, you know, the more we talk about it, I kind of feel like everybody that wears contact lenses that is over the age of 18 has been on this earth long enough it's going to have some biofilm buildup they probably ought to have blefex to make sure that that they are not having any contributing factor to their to their tears or people are going to have cataract surgery so we can get all that crud off there before they're going to have somebody you know taking care of a cataract in their eye it's a very very important part of hygiene if you will but it's one that Uh, patients oftentimes overlook. I agree. I think any patient who comes in with a corneal ulcer should be having Blefex because I think that that biofilm is is trapping a lot of that bacteria that is then transferring to their contact lens and their tear film is breaking down and not protecting their eye. I think any patient that has a sty or what we might call a hordeolum Mm -hmm. should also have Blefex to remove that um, bacteria or organism that caused the problem in the first place. And that would be once that sty is resolved, right? Not at the, not like not an active treatment for it, but to Correct. prevent. So if you say, I want to minimize my chance of getting another sty, that's a really, really good thing. How, yes. how long does the procedure take? So we allot 30 minutes, but it's about a 10-minute procedure. Okay. Um, the patient can go back to work. They can drive themselves home. They can return to normal life immediately afterwards. And it tickles at most. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. No, no eye drops or anything. No. Um, you know, no puffs of air in the eye. Anything exactly. Like that. Everybody goes, are you puffing air in my eye? No, no, a long time ago. All right. So that's the biofilm. How often would that need to be repeated? Uh, if I get my teeth cleaned every six months to every year, how often do you have to redo the Blefex? I think it depends on the patient. But on average, I would say every um, 12 to 18 months is what we're seeing. Okay. So going back a little further, we've got the biofilm that's on top of some of these glands, which can contribute to gland blockage. But a lot of that gland blockage is from the oils itself inside the gland. These are vertically running glands in the eyelids, yes. right? Yes. So these little 
channels, kind of like molehills, if you will, or snake pits, if you something like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, but um, but I've got this little pipe, and I got oil coming out. It's supposed to spew out just gently every time I blink, and and now it's starting to get blocked up. First of all, let's review again. How do you know? Can you see that at the microscope? And how do you look at lids and determine? whether these oil glands are blocked. So here in the practice, we use two different methods. One, we use a manual expression when the patient is behind the microscope. We want to see, is that oil cloudy? Is it obstructed, thick like toothpaste? Or is it running like that olive oil that we were talking about a minute ago? Okay. We also take imaging with the K5 or the lipid scan, which is a way to really see deep down how, how far down do those glands go? Are they short and stubby? Are they atrophied? Or are they nice, long, and healthy? So long and healthy is the way we're born. Yes. But eventually they become shorter and stubby if they drop out or are foreshortened, we call that. If they're short and stubby, can we make them long and healthy again? Unfortunately, we can't, but we can preserve their health with a treatment called LipaFlow. And that's really what the goal is, is once the gland is lost, we can't get it back. So it's our job to to preserve those glands until, until the end. Okay, yeah, because once once we're trying to treat dry eyes, or you in particular trying to treat a dry eye patient that has lost the majority of their glands, especially in the lower lid, right? Yes. That's that's a really tough situation, right? Because we're having to completely replace what the body physiologically used to produce, which are those oils that are that help the tears from to keep from evaporating away. So we have a constant Correct. evaporation of tears. Correct. You put something in, it's gone quickly, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, Lipoflow, spa-like procedure, you warm up the eyelids. How long does it take? How long is that effective? So we allot um, a 30 minutes for the procedure, but most patients are done within about 20 minutes. Again, they can drive themselves home, go back to work. There's no downtime. Mm-hmm. We are seeing that for the average patient that the procedure will last about two to three years. And I think that's a, an incredible um, finding that you can have relief from your dry eyes for up to three years. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do anything at home, but it certainly means that you can go about and your your good days will be better and your bad days will be better. And that's priceless. And it's almost universal that if you are a contact lens wearer and you say, you know, I just can't wear these contacts as long. One, we're going to probably put you in more of a daily lens so you, we get rid of solutions. We're going to yes. make sure you're in a high oxygen, good lubricating lens. Yes. But if you're still have some issues then i mean it'd be silly to decrease your contact lens wear when you can get lipoflow which should be very very helpful absolutely what we're finding is our patients are getting two to four extra hours of comfortable contact lens wear there's a difference between i can wear my contact lenses until i go to bed and i can comfortably wear my contact lenses until i go to bed yeah i kind of want to forget that they're in there right yes. okay and and it, i sometimes will ask patients when it's time to take them out, is it just because you're going to bed or is, oh, no, 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 I get home from work, I got to take them out. I, that got to do it is a good candidate probably for lipoflow unless their glands are just really, really healthy. That's a person I want to look at their glands. I want to evaluate those. I may send them to you and say, look, we'd like to increase the comfort. I don't want the contact lens limiting the patient's ability to wear it as long as we want, right? Because they may have meetings at night or other things. I'd rather the patient say, I could wear this another three hours, but I choose to take them out. Yes. 
for other reasons. The other thing would be if you're a, if you're listening to this and you're a dry eye patient and you haven't had Lipiflow, eighty percent plus of the causes of dry eyes in our official literature have a strong contributing factor that comes from the oil glands and the lids. Am I pretty accurate with yes. that, Amy? And so Lipiflow is your treatment of choice. Absolutely. For 80%. It's not the lubricant over the counter. That's just a, a small little Band-Aid on a bigger issue. Let's get your oil glands functioning well. We get rid of the oils that have built up that are thicker like toothpaste or other yucky inflammatory stuff in there. And we replace it by helping you reformulate new and healthy tears. Lipiflow is a, it's a great procedure. It's a $475, $475 an eye. So yeah, not the most inexpensive. So that's $950. But as Dr. Waymar mentioned, holy cow, you know, on average, two to three years, you know, for some people, yeah, got to repeat it in six months or a year. Other people, five years, but two to three is a good average. What a great investment for comfort. If I said, I can make your eyes more comfortable for the next two to three years, how much, how much are you willing to invest in that? The other thing, I did some calculation because we're, we're, fil- we're filming. Hello. <laughs> Hi, everybody. We're <laughs> recording this. And uh, Cole was taking pictures earlier uh, in December. And um, one of the things that we always do in December is we have our annual gift card sale where you can buy a $100 gift card for $75 or $50 gift card for $40. So a lot of our patients will load up on those in December when they know they want to have a procedure in January or February. So if you bought the gift cards, just the 950, if you bought enough of those gift cards, uh, you're going to get 25% off of that, right? So you're going to save, gosh, that must be, I um, think, uh, what did I calculate? Somewhere, it's a good amount of savings. I think it's $235 of savings, right? Absolutely. Just by using gift cards. So uh, I'm going to buy the gift cards. I'm automatically getting that at 25% off. The other way that's really when we kind of combine a couple of things is I know that in the dry eye center, because we have certain days where people are staffed and, and we have our experts performing the, the Lipiflow procedure, that if you're having your consult and you go ahead and you know, you're going to have Lipiflow and you decide, okay, I'm just going to prepay for that today. You give everybody two hundred dollars off, so that nine fifty minus two hundred dollars, that's seven fifty. Plus, now you get the gift cards. If you're going to have that January second, you are saving. Uh, that means the total price is four hundred six. I'm sorry, five hundred sixty-five dollars. It's a forty percent savings. I know my wife. When she comes home, she is telling me not what she purchased, but how much she saved. So for you value shoppers out there, you want to save $385, buy gift cards, schedule your Lipiflow in December, have it done early January or anytime in 2021 for that matter, and and you're going to save 40%. 40% savings, $385 off. This is not a a uh, me being crazy Eddie about this, but we do look for ways that we can provide more value to our patients. And if a $950 procedure can be received for $565 in a very easy way, I want to make sure I mention that to patients so that they don't pay too much for something they could have saved some money on. So Lipiflow, 
most everybody needs it. It's a tremendous procedure. It's the main cause for dry eyes, right? Absolutely. I think it's the closest thing we can find to a fountain of youth for the eyes. Okay. Very good. Very good. So we've got biofilm we take care of with Blefex. We've got Lipaflow for the glands. What about inflammation? How do you handle the inflammation in the eyes or in the glands? So one of the things that we can use are prescription eye drops that can work with inflammation. Um, We can also make sure that their underlying medical conditions are being managed. So if they're seeing an endocrinologist, making sure that that's being managed to the best of their ability or their dermatologist is managing their skin conditions to the best. And is it common or normal for you to update a dermatologist or a rheumatologist on what we're doing with regard to to the eyes and the and the hydration or dry eye level? Absolutely. We really want to be involved with those other providers so that we can complement what the patient is receiving for their care. We could talk for eight hours or 16 hours or longer. We won't, don't worry, mm-hmm. uh, about the many different treatments that are available. I want to touch on a few, though, okay, that are available. We have Restasis and we have Zydra, two prescription medications that are made for for dryness. And then Restasis now has a, uh, a, a, a formulated if you will, type that's yes. called... There's Sequa. Sequa, yeah. Yes. So let's talk about this cyclosporin, which is what that category of drug is. How does that work and how is it more helpful than an over-the-counter drop? So what I tell patients is it helps them produce a healthier quality of tear by reducing the inflammation of their eye. And I think that that can be said similar for Zydra in that it, it is reducing the inflammation in the eye so that you can produce healthier tears as well. All right. So starting with, you know, we can use steroid drops, we can use non-steroidals, we can use restasis, we can use Hydra. Sometimes we just need more water in the tears, right? Yes, absolutely. And the tears are made to flow over the eyes and then drain out on this little nub drain by the inside corner of our eye. What? Tell me about these magic plugs or whatever you call them. What do you call them? We call them tear saver plugs. Tear saver plugs, okay. Because if you've got plenty of tears, but they're just flowing too quickly, let's try to slow that down and keep those healthy tears in contact with your eye um, so that you can have a more consistent quality of vision. Mm -hmm. And what I love about these is that they're a natural way to treat your dry eye. Um, It's not adding a medication. It's just keeping the good stuff on your eye longer. And this is something that's been done for 30 to 40 years. I always tell patients, it takes me longer to describe than to do. There is absolutely no discomfort. We're basically doing plumbing. We're blocking the drain. I usually do it temporarily, and I let you, they work for about three to seven days, let you evaluate that first week versus the following week. And if you go, wow, that first week was a whole lot better, great. Then we have you back, and we do the same thing, but we put in a tear saver plug that doesn't dissolve as fast may last four to six months or even longer and that's really really helpful right so a huge benefit i know my wife will say jeff my tear plugs have run out i need to have you put more tear plugs in and i just did the other day she can definitely tell when she doesn't have as much lubrication based upon those tear plugs so i have corneal erosions I need tear plugs to keep my, I mean, this is just a, a, like you said, I really like it because it's safe, it's natural, and and very beneficial. We've done it for a long, long time. It's one of those that when you have it done, you go, wow, this sounds very different. And then you go back to work and and you tell somebody what you had and they go, oh yeah, I had that too. So it's just not communicated a lot. Bandage contact lenses, what, what role do they play? So we have patients who have, as you were mentioning, recurrent erosions, and I use bandage contact lenses quite frequently in those patients who have an exposure problem. Perhaps they've had an old Bell's palsy. That's a great way to offer protection on their eyes. 
Do you think that's helpful for some of those patients that have lag ophthalmos also, or is that different? In some cases, yes, but I tend to use... um, to close their eye at night through some sort of sleeping mask or ointment more so with those. Okay. Okay. Or maybe a little bit of a snip on the side here to kind of foreshorten the lids. Absolutely. A a referral for surgery. Yeah. The uh, amniotic lenses, that's a little different than a bandage contact lens, isn't it? It Tell me about that. That has definitely been a revolution. Absolutely. It's a medicated contact lens that can help the eye heal if there's a wound or an injury to the eye. So if someone's had a foreign body, if someone has had a scratch to the eye, if they have a genetic condition that's causing their cornea to erode away this is a great way to just heal and seal the eye heal and seal i like Mm -hmm. that i can i'll talk to cole about that from a (laughs) marketing standpoint oral medicines do you use many oral medicines in the treatment of ocular surface disorders i do i tend to use um, low dose doxycycline for uh, rosacea ocular rosacea and i use um, oral pilocarpine to increase the tear production um, for those patients especially with sjogren syndrome Okay, Sjogren's. Tell me about, that's a hard word to say, hard word to spell, but tell me what Sjogren's is and how would I know if I'm possibly should be evaluated for that? Absolutely. So it's an autoimmune condition, which is commonly characterized by dry eyes and dry mouth. So when I see a patient who their clinical signs look different than what they're experiencing, I'll oftentimes ask them, do they have dental problems? Do they also have a dry mouth? And they might look at me in a funny way, but a lot of times they'll answer yes. And so I'll refer them to their rheumatologist for testing. And if so, they may be treated just like a patient who has rheumatoid arthritis or other inflammatory conditions. So does arthritis typically go along with Sjogren's also? Um, I think that there is a correlation there. Okay, so a little bit of arthritis maybe, but certainly dry mouth, dry eyes, that's kind of the triad that we really watch for. And this tends to run in families. So I have many uh, multi-generationals, mothers and daughters primarily, or a few sisters or even cousins here in the practice that I'm treating. Sjogren's more common in women than men? It is. Okay, all right. We ought to talk more with our dental colleagues because they're the ones that are probably going to be treating people with mouthwashes or rinses for dryness, et cetera. See the people that have more decay, et cetera. We could help each other out there to keep patients healthy. Um, So we've got other dermatologic. You had mentioned before Accutane, which kind of, if you will, in my mind, kind of squeezes and makes the gland really small so it can't get blocked up again. That's not exactly how it's working, but, you know, controversial drug, but for people with cystic acne, holy cow, what a life-changing type of thing. But then those patients during treatment, as well as long-term, tend to have drier eyes because we've now affected some of those... um, how much they can express out, right? Absolutely. So uh, I don't have a, as many teenage patients in the dry eye clinic, but the ones I do, several of them have been on Accutane and the moisture plugs have been revolutionary for them. Almost they should be on those as a standard of Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got dermatologic. We talked about rheumatologic conditions, uh, endocrine conditions. You know, even diabetic patients tend to have a poor rebuilding of the corneal surface. And so we really want to avoid erosions and abrasions in them because the wound healing will be longer. We definitely yes. want to use an amniotic membrane contact lens to help them if they have erosions. Absolutely. Genitourinary conditions. Uh, I'm thinking of kind of some of these, what we call anticholinergic agents that are bladder control medicines and, yes. and that. Uh, 
those antispasmodics, yeah. yes, absolutely. So they're going to dry out just like a diuretic would. And so we need to really be examining a thorough health history. And I think sometimes when patients come into the office, they wonder why do we need to know about the medications they're taking, but they can affect the eyes and the vision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we haven't been traveling for a while with COVID, but I have a feeling that once things open back up, once we have a, you know, vaccines that are working and the, and the world goes back to whatever normal is going to be, um, people are going to get back on cruise ships again. Yes. Many people take a scopolamine patch for cruise ships, right? Yes. Can you tell us if that's helpful or harmful for dry eye patients? I haven't been asked that question before, <laughs> so that's a great one. But I usually say if you're not staring at a tablet when you're on vacation, that's helpful. I think that's the good part. There you go there. The scopolamine <laughs> that we see um, usually will have its systemic effects to keep you, it's going to work the opposite of a pilocarpine. Yes. So it typically will keep you your GI system much better controlled, but the side effect of that can be much like it's the dilating drop that you're putting on in a patch. So you could have some loss of focusing up close. You could have more dry eyes. So if you're prone to abrasions, recurrent corneal erosions, or if you have dry eyes with contact lenses, um, you may have more of those with a scopolamine patch. On the other hand, as Dr. Waymeyer pointed out, it's all a part of life. And, you know, it could be that a few of those little drinks with funny umbrellas in them <laughs> and just being on vacation, you may not notice so much because you're not on the computer and you, we're not we're blinking better. We're more relaxed. I mean, that has a big effect on on the overall eye health, doesn't it? Yeah, if you can get away from the screen, that's really the key. Yeah, there you go. But to bring up a good point about the scopolamine match, they patch, they are using those post-surgically for nausea in a lot of patients. So I have had a few patients who've come in and they've said, since my heart surgery, since mm-hmm. my back surgery, I've had dry eye. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's probably many causes for that, but I hadn't quite put two and two together until yeah. you brought it up. Yeah, that's an interesting correlation. So uh, if you're planning on any major surgery and you have dry eyes, mm-hmm. you might ask them if you're going to get one of those patches for nausea mm-hmm. and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help you prepare from a, from a preparation standpoint, make sure your tears are doing well and your cornea is doing well. Um, now, we use some surveys in the office, OSDI, Ocular Surface Disease Index, the speed survey, things like that. But those are really, really helpful, aren't they? Because yes, it, it, it avoids us having to ask 20 questions. We're just putting them down on paper. You answer. There are certain ratings based upon the numbers that you give that help us to qualify whether you are a mild, a moderate, or severe dry eye patient. Is that right? It is. If somebody's not in the office right now and they go, you know, I have this, but I don't really know. Do I have dry eyes or do I not? I know they can email us, they can call us, but what if they just wanted a survey? Can they get those from you? We absolutely can send that to them. Okay. And I think they're a great way to mark how someone is proceeding in their treatment. So, for example, if their score was a 56 and they began a treatment and now they're down to a 22, we know that they're moving in the right direction. Okay. So all dry eye patients should know their score on either an OSDI or a speed, right? Yes. Because when you have them in the clinic, you're going to review that with them and say, hey, this is getting better. Absolutely. That's kind of like eye pressure with glaucoma, you know, if we're shooting for a goal of less than 17. It's important to be a, for us to communicate, hey, your goal, your your pressure today is underneath our goal. We want to collaborate with patients. Patients are, our care is better when the patients are working with us and then and the patients know what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and are we achieving that, right? Absolutely. We're really in a partnership together with them. Uh, if patients have questions, Dr. Waymeyer, they want a speed survey, 
they have questions about dryness, their mom and dad have this issue and they're wondering about that, should they talk to you or a clinical health coordinator for dry eyes? What's the best way to communicate with us in addition to making an appointment, of course? Absolutely. So first thing, I'd go to our website. I think there are a lot of great resources on our website about some of the things we've talked about, our Lipiflow, our Blefex. So you can get some basic information there. And otherwise, you can please feel free to reach out to us. I'm Dr. Waymeyer, Dr. Waymeyer at CoolSpringsEyeCare.com. Um, we also have Michelle at at CoolSpringsEyeCare.com. She's our dry eye clinical health coordinator, and she's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, she is. She's really good. Michelle with one L, though, not with two, just so we know. Correct. Got to keep all these spellings correct, (laughs) right? And then making an appointment, of course, you can call the Donaldson office at 615-889-0147, or call the Cool Springs office, 615 871-7555. 771-7555-615-771-7555 or obviously you can make an appointment online. We've done that since the year 2000. That's www.coolspringseyecare.com. Make an appointment www.donaldsoneyecare.com make an appointment it's the middle of winter we're really getting filled up with a lot of patients so that's a good way to ensure that you're going to have an opening and visit it's really nice that's built like a bed and breakfast system you can pick the doctor pick the day book your appointment right then and you got it it's not an ask and reply you will know immediately that you have your appointment we look forward to seeing you whether we're in the primary eye care clinic you can see dr waymeyer for general eye comprehensive eye health and vision exams or if you have a particular dry eye issue you've been diagnosed with dry eyes you think you might have dry eyes you want your eyes to be more comfortable i would highly recommend dr waymeyer at either the donaldson or cool springs eye care practices so dr waymeyer is there anything else that you'd like to mention about dry eyes for us today we've covered a lot of material in last week's section on what dry eyes were Uh, how you evaluate the fact that we have a specialty clinic that really focuses in and takes a really good history listens to all the multifactorial problems that can cause dry eyes and now we got into this podcast with regard to a few but not all but a few of the many treatments and to try to prove that it's more than just lubricant eye drops over the counter right absolutely Um, i think that one of the things i enjoy most about working with the dry eye patients is you really get to know these people and you really can have an impact on their day-to-day living i think that a lot of patients say i didn't know i was feeling bad until i wasn't feeling bad anymore and that's really our goal is to keep the eyes healthy and functioning so that the patient doesn't have to think about their their dry eyes during the day couldn't have closed it better thank you very much we appreciate what you do day in day out to give our patients more than good eye care a great eye health care experience thanks a lot dr waymeyer thank you